Dautal Dock, the Cove of Jarg. Twenty-five leagues south of Duman lay a dark cove with the steam at the land, its rocky basin swallowing waves whole as the spraying sea foam splashed in over the rocks. It was night, the cool sea breeze making the trees sway in the wind. The seaside path was silent, the darkness covered all. Nothing stirred in the road. The splashing waves could be heard far below in the cove. Suddenly a horse leapt onto the path, clearing a small stream and landing on the dirt road with an audible thump. The rider then turned the horse towards the cliff and trotted forward until he stopped just at the cliff edge. The rider dismounted and peered over the edge, looking down into the roaring tumult of the cove of Jarg. After several seconds, long seconds, the rider left his horse and paced away along the ledge. Finally, he spotted it, a long, narrow stair descending from the cliff top down into the darkness below. The stairway was made of stone, the steps uneven and many cracked. Seawater sprayed up, hitting the traveler as he descended into the cove. At one point he slipped on the wet steps and went sliding down several yards before he found his footing once more. Finally, the stone steps ended. They stopped abruptly and quite a ways above the sea. One more step would send him plummeting into the churning waves below. Suddenly a huge wave leapt up, splashing over him with force. The man almost fell once more, but managed to find a grip on the rock wall to his left. He was now drenched in water. His clothes were wet, his hair was wet, absolutely everything. He shivered. Close by the sea, the wind was cold at night, and it caused the man almost to faint. Off to the left side, the wall dropped off suddenly, revealing a large cave set cave mouth set into the side of the rocky cliff face. Spotting this, the man frantically looked for a way down, desperate to get it out of the freezing cold night air. But before he could do anything, however, a light flickered on from within the cave. Another huge wave rushed up from the bellowing sea below, slamming into the man. This time, the force was tremendous. Frantically, he struggled to find a grip and traction in the rocky wall. He had no such luck. As the rushing water washed back towards the ocean, he was dragged off the edge of the steps and into the roaring water below. Seawater filled his mouth as he slammed into the ocean waves. The pounding tumult quickly dragged him under and thrust him against the jagged rocks. He felt one sharp spear-like stone jab at his right calf. He tried to scream, but more seawater rushed into his lungs. He felt darkness beginning to surround him. Just as he felt his body fading, a wave thrust him up out of the water and he began choking and spitting seawater. One final wave threw him out of the water and he landed with a splash inside the cave, lying in a large puddle of ocean spray. As he spit water, he could hear the thundering ocean behind him, churning violently crashing against the stones. Coughing and retching, the man fell back down to the water puddle and as the ocean spray fell on his back. He felt darkness take There was light. As Jack Varn opened his eyes, he found himself lying on a cool stone table. He was naked. He was cold. He shivered as he opened his eyes. After a few moments, his eyes just adjusted to the strange cave light, for cave indeed it was. It was dry now, and his wet clothes had obviously been removed. He sat up sharply, realizing how vulnerable he was. He looked around. The cave was large. Great rocky walls made their way up to a high ceiling from which hung many large stalactites. 
he must be farther into the cave than before, for he could not see the entrance on either side, simply two large, dark, tunnel-like passageways leading off in either direction. Directly above him, one large stalactite had been inset with several wax candles, or at least that's what he presumed they were. They were lit, and from this, it was from this source that the cave light emanated. He was not alone. He coughed up more seawater. From down the passage to his left, he heard a faint tapping noise coming. It might just have been the drip of water that so often is heard within caves, but he certainly wasn't going to sit here on this eerie stone bench and wait. Stepping off, his head began to swim, and for a moment he thought he would vomit. After several seconds, his head cleared enough for him to walk forward without toppling over. He didn't, really, he didn't mind his nudity. In fact, he was very glad to be rid of his wet clothes. Following the cave passage, he rounded the corner and was faced with the sight of an even larger chamber than the one he had been in. The ceiling of this one was filled with many stalactite candle fixtures. Huge shelves filled with innumerable items and strange tokens lined the walls of the cavern. Directly in the center of the room, a bent-looking old woman stood, hovering over a bowling cauldron. She wore a long purple robe and her, over, uh, over her hunched back, and, a, and long silver hair flowed from her head. Long, weathered fingers and sharp nails clicked against the side of the cauldron, from which green smoke was rising, causing the cavern to be filled with a pungent, sulfuric odor. As Jadvarn stepped into the cavern, she turned to face him. Her, fe her features were sharp and cutting, a long, bent nose and sharp, jutting chin. Her eyes were deep red as she turned toward him. This alone caused Jadvarn to shiver and take a step back. Her lips peeled back in a twisted sort of smile. Nama, if you biggie hawk, she spoke in a rasping voice. She spoke in the ancient tongue, the words cutting and sharp at Jetvarn's ears. He had taken lessons, of course, as a boy, but he had never had need to speak in anything but the common tongue for as long as he could remember. Straining his memory to try and understand the words, he made out that she had called him young and was generally asking as to the nature of his health. Alak went good, he knew that much. Alak, he responded, bluntly. The witch nodded. Levetzana ak Jatvarn, she continued. Jatvarn nodded. Zana meant name. He assumed she was letting him know that she knew his name. He needed clothes. Tawa, he questioned. The witch cocked her head. She narrowed her eyebrows. She didn't understand. Shalak, Tawa meant corn. He remembered that now. He almost laughed at the thought. He shook his head in negation. He motioned his naked body. The witch seemed to understand and nodded her head. Clothe, she said as she moved away towards one side of the chamber. Yes, yes, clothes, responded Jetvarn. The witch went to one of the many shelves around the cavern and began to open a small box. As she did so, Jetvarn peered into the murky green cauldron. It smelled awful and he could see bubbles forming inside. The witch returned, carrying Jetvarn's soaking garments. Clothe, she spoke once more. Jetvarn nodded and reached for the clothes, but before he could get them, the witch turned and threw them into the cauldron. The liquid inside hissed and bubbled, several globs of green goop bubbling over the sides, sizzling as they hit the cave floor. Jetvarn grew angry. Why had she done that? He reached to grab her by the shoulder, but as he did so, the witch spun around and raised her palm into the air. Bringing her hand back, she thrust it forward in the direction of Jetvarn. A pulsating energy hit him squarely in the gut, sending him flying backwards and slamming into the cave wall. As he lay crumpled on the cavern floor, he looked up to see the witch dip a large jar into the bubbling cauldron. 
Removing it, he saw that it was filled with the green liquid. Putting out her hand, she tipped the cup and began to pour the green substance over her hand. It came out in globs, hitting her hand and sliding off and falling to the floor. However, the instant the first glob touched her skin, he felt a searing pain on his own left hand. He looked down to see what appeared to be a burning hole appearing in his flesh. He screamed in agony as he felt and more fell into her fingers. And as he watched in horror, he saw her hand, his hand beginning to burn and melt away. He screamed again, louder than before. Finally, the witch ceased and let the jar fall to the ground, clanging away on the rocky surface. Jetfarn was whimpering now, stirless staring down at the charred skeletal bones that used, to be at his, that used to be his left hand. The witch paced over to where he sat, huddled against the wall. Vagar, she said. That meant pain. He wanted to scream at her, but he couldn't. Too much vagar, as she put it. He simply nodded his head. Reaching down, she touched his now skeletal hand. He recoiled, pulling it back away from her. She slapped him hard across the face. He cried out and then continued to whimper. Lertal, she said. That meant give, he thought. Very slowly, he extended the charred fingers toward her. Gently, she placed one hand on top, the other beneath. Then she pushed her hands together hard. He screamed again. He had never felt so much pain in his life. But as the pain receded, he felt the tendons connecting, blood flowing, skin reforming. When the witch removed her old withered hands, he looked down to find his hand restored. He shuddered. Kamuk. He choked out. Vinok, she scolded. Nachtwad. Bad. Not again. He nodded, understanding the gist of what she meant. You are a therianthrope, she said. Jedfarn was shocked. You speak the common tongue, he asked. The witch nodded. I do. Why have you been speaking the ancient tongue? He questioned. It was a test. Jedfarn decided not to ask any more questions. It was a relief that he could communicate easily. You are a therianthrope, she repeated. Jedvarn nodded. I believe so, if I understand what you mean. Come. Jedvarn followed. She led him over to one of the side walls, where sat a large shelf full of strange object containers and substances. In the middlemost shelf on a small stand sat a golden knife and a small leather sheath. The handle was curved and carven with a dragon and a serpent coiled around the hilt. The dragon was devouring the serpent. Carefully, the witch picked up the knife from the, from the shelf. Slowly, she removed the leather sheath, sheath revealing a, a shiny steel blade. The blade was long and curved. The knife was obviously meant to bring swift death, an assassin's weapon, Jetfarn thought to himself. Take it, spoke the witch. Magic knife stays with you when you turn. Jetfarn carefully took the knife from him. Kamuk, he said gratefully, and he meant it. The witch nodded in return. Come, spoke the witch once more, and she began to pace back over to the cauldron again. As she walked, Jetfarn looked down at the knife. On the blade, he noticed a symbol set into the steel. It didn't mean anything to him presently, so he sheathed the blade and decided to ponder the symbol more later. Jetfarn followed the witch over to the cauldron. She looked at him for a second before plunging her hand down into the bubbling green goo. Jetfarn cringed as her hand made contact with the liquid, but no pain came. After several seconds of feeling around, the witch pulled out Jetfarn's clothes that he had stolen from those farm boys on his way south from the capital. 
To his surprise, the clothes weren't, weren't covered in the green substance. It seemed to slide right off as she pulled the garments out. In fact, as she handed the clothes over to him, they weren't even wet anymore. They were perfectly dry and wearable. Quickly, Jad Farin set the knife down on the chamber floor and began to dress himself. Come, Mook. He spoke once more to the witch. Enchanted, she said, also stays with you when you turn. They'll disappear, but when you change back, you'll still have them. Jed Farin thought he understood. Thank you, he said. The witch nodded. Be on your way, she said, pointing towards the chamber exit. Jed Farin was surprised. That was it? He was just supposed to leave now? She gave him gifts while getting nothing in return from him, and then she told him to be on his way? However strange it seemed to him, he wasn't going to risk disobeying the witch again. He picked up the knife off the ground and fixed it to his belt. He then rushed out of the chamber, yelling one last thank you over his shoulder as he reached the cave entrance and splashed out into the water. About ten minutes later, Jadvarn was back at the top of the cliff face, standing next to his horse. He was wet again, and the wind was blowing through his hair. His horse brayed in the cool night. It would be daybreak soon, and he was still a fugitive. He had to get moving. Goodbye, old boy, he said to the, his horse. Doris stamped in acknowledgement. Taking a deep breath, Jet Farn focused his energy, and as his body began to change, the knife and the clothes seemed to melt into him instead of falling off. Much better, he thought as he set off. And as the first light of the morning sun rose over the tops of the trees, and the pale morning breeze came swiftly, making the trees sway in the wind, a large tiger could be seen sprinting quickly over the Vimerian countryside.